begun a journey through 2 Corinthians. And um, it is great joy, it was really with great joy that I bring you this uh, passage this morning and uh, such a precious message from God for us in his word. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 to 5 this morning. Let's read that passage. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now you may feel like I preach about suffering a lot, but the Bible talks a lot about suffering, and 2 Corinthians in particular. It's not an accident that this passage is basically the way the letter begins. It sets a tone for the rest of the letter. Let me tell you a little bit more about what was going on between Paul and the Corinthian church. One of the accusations that had come against Paul was similar to the accusation that Job's friends brought against him. That he was experiencing so much suffering that there must be something wrong with him. There must be some way that he was disobeying God because the sufferings, you see, were proof that he wasn't really walking with God. There might be people today in the Christian community who have that same kind of interpretation. Someone who suffers lots of sickness or lots of troubles, it must be because they're not trusting God, not putting their faith in God, not living right. So they were critical and they were questioning Paul's apostleship because of the high degree of suffering he was experiencing. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians really writes a Christian theology of suffering. And it's beautiful. And it's so helpful. So the three things I want to point out in the passage and then one thing I'm going to leave for next week the first thing is that we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings that's a quote from the passage in verse 5 we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings and of course this is the consistent message of the Bible in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Paul says in Acts 14, through many afflictions we must enter the kingdom of God. If the Lord Jesus suffered, you see, we his followers will suffer too. If the world hated and rejected him, they will hate and reject us too, as Jesus himself 
said in John 15, verse 18 and following. Suffering is not a sign of divine displeasure. Suffering is not a sign of divine unfaithfulness. In fact, in some ways it can be a sign of God's love. And part of the outworking of our faith is acknowledging and accepting the suffering that God brings into our lives. Acknowledging that it's from Him and that He has a good purpose in it. So that's the first thing. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. The second thing is God's comfort comes along with the suffering. God's comfort comes along with the suffering. Now what is this comfort? This word comfort occurs six times in three verses. It's obviously at the heart of what's going on here in verses 3 to 5. So let's not just read it as comfort and assume that we've gotten the, the uh, extent of what that word means because the English word often doesn't really capture the beauty and the power of the Greek word. In the context of suffering, when we hear the word comfort, often we think of something like anesthesia. You know, something to take the edge off our comfort so that it doesn't hurt so bad. I'm sorry, the edge off our suffering so it doesn't hurt so bad. So we don't feel the suffering. Or maybe we don't feel it at all. But this comfort is a lot more than anesthesia. Last uh, year and a half, a little bit more than a year ago, I preached, I was preaching a ser- series of sermons on the Holy Spirit. And one of the sermons that I preached, I called the paraclete. Because when Jesus was about to leave his disciples, he gave them promises that he was going to send them another helper. Remember that? John 14, 16. He was going to send them another helper. And that word that's, that, that is translated helper there is the word parakletos. And it's a, a very big, rich, full Greek word. And there's no good English word that captures the glory of that Greek word. And so, you know, we unpack that word a little bit. Well, this word is the same word. It's not parakletos, it's paraklesis. It's not the helper, it's the help. It's the actual thing that we get from the helper. This comfort. That's why, you know, in some translations, Jesus says, I will send you another counselor, another comforter, another helper. But again, all these words are just trying to get behind what this rich Greek word is. Now, the first thing to say about what this means is that when Jesus said, I'm going to send you a helper, he didn't say it like that. He said, I'm going to send you another helper. In other words, the Holy Spirit, when he sent the Holy Spirit, was to come to fill the shoes of Jesus in the lives of his people. So there's the first indication of what this helper 
was going to do. He was going to have the same kind of ministry to God's people as Jesus did when he was there with them in the flesh. But he was going to leave and he was going to send them another helper. And so all that Jesus was to his people, all the way that Jesus helped his people, that's like what this is talking about. This comfort, this help that God sends to us in our suffering. It's talking about healing, about guidance, about a shoulder to cry on, about a morale boost, about instruction, about protection, about companionship, about having one remind us of what's true when we lose perspective. Whatever we need. That's the help that God brings to us in that time. Let me give you a couple of illustrations that just come to mind. Um, You know, when a woman gets married and has her first child, especially if she grew up in a small family where she didn't do a lot of mothering herself to her younger siblings... She and hasn't had a lot of experience with that kind of taking care of little ones. You know, she has her first baby, and sometimes that woman is blessed to have her mother come and live with her for a few days or a few weeks to help her in that time. Now, of course, there are complicated mother-daughter relationships, and things can go messy, and yes, but the, the general concept of having someone who knows how this works, who knows what to do, who, know, who, who knows that there are emotional ups and downs, who knows physically the things that happen, who is sensitive to her daughter, who is looking out for her daughter's needs, who understands her daughter, she doesn't have to explain everything, and can be there for her in whatever way her daughter needs her. I think that's a beautiful picture of the kind of help that this passage is talking about that God gives to us when we suffer. That we have plenty of suffering, but along with that suffering, we have plenty of God's help. Now that mother doesn't come in, come in and say, okay, I see this is hard for you. I'm going to take the baby home. You know, and, and, uh, or, or I'm going to take the baby down to social services and give the baby up for adoption. You know, that's not, it doesn't take the problem away. It doesn't take the difficulty away. It just comes alongside the woman to help her in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the burden. And I'm sure that there are many families that can tell you that the most precious bonding time they ever experienced with a mother-daughter is in that time when mom came to help her with her new baby. Because that kind of help forges closeness and intimacy and relationship. And that's a little picture of what happens when we suffer and when God comes and helps us and we call out to him and he helps us and it forges a relationship that wouldn't have existed if we never had the suffering or trial or burden in the first place.
Now, you may not have ever seen that happen. Maybe for you, it's having your first accident and having mom or dad come to help you at your first accident. And, uh, you know, you're flustered, you're worried, you're upset, you're maybe injured, your car's wrecked, and dad shows up. And I'm going to use dad this time because I used mom before. Mom could do it too, but just like dad could come and help you with your first child. But anyway, you, you know, dad comes and he knows all about the insurance and he knows about where to get the tar towed and he knows about who to call to, to do this and do that, how to speak to the police officers. And just having him around just makes all the difference in the world. And he's there for you. And, and uh, he's not, you know, he's not there to take the problem away. He can't take the problem away. But he's there to help you in whatever way you need. If you need to go to the hospital, he'll take you to the hospital. If you need, you know, um, for to somebody to go over and talk to the other driver and get him calmed down, then he'll do that, whatever it is. That's the kind of helper we have in God. However, Again, this help that God gives doesn't take the sufferings away. A lot of times we think of God helper as coming and taking away the problem, taking away the pain. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. And it's not wrong to cry out to God and say, take away this problem. But God often doesn't. But he comes and he makes the suffering infinitely more manageable by his presence, by his encouragement, by his presence, by his mercies. It's like having a friend by your side when you're going through surgery. The friend isn't there to rescue you from the surgery. Say, let's sneak out of here so you don't have to go through this. No, you need the surgery. You need the surgery. But the friend can stay there and can get you ice when you need it and can go get the nurse if the, there's a problem. It can, can turn the light off or on or answer the phone or call somebody and put it on the prayer chain or whatever you need. That friend's there for you to make it better. And again, friendships are forged in those kind of situations. In fact, we even have an ancient saying that says this, isn't it? A friend... A friend in need is a friend indeed. Friendships are often formed. You know, a lot of times somebody goes to help somebody and they're not that close. But they needed you. And friendship becomes a real friendship because they were there for you. And the relationship is forged. God comforts us in all our affliction, it says, for we sh- as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This is what's so great about being weak and needy. Now, being weak and needy doesn't feel good in itself. But this is how our relationship with Christ is forged in the experience of being weak and needy. Suffering actually enables us to receive help from God and comfort. It's where we meet Jesus. Primarily, we meet Jesus in the place of suffering. 
in the place of weakness. And part of the Christian life is when we're we're confronted by hardship or burden or suffering, we go to Jesus. Even when he doesn't remove it, he meets us with grace in the midst of it. But a lot of times, our temptation is not to go to Jesus in the midst of suffering, but we we instead are tempted to run away from the pain, find some kind of escape. And the world and even the church is filled with people who have run to escapes just trying to get rid of the pain instead of running to Jesus. That's the pain was brought about in the first place in order that we might come to Jesus. But instead of coming to Jesus, we run. We might run to food. We might run to alcohol. We might run to drugs. We might run to TV. We might run to video games or sports or pornography or many other things. We run to something that gets our minds off the pain instead of running to Jesus in the pain or something that relieves the pain. Sometimes our prayer, we go to prayer, but not to rest in the Lord. We go to prayer just to get rid of the pain. Take this away from me. And we think we're going to Jesus. But really we're just trying to get rid of the pain. That's all we're interested in. Is getting rid of the pain. We're not interested in being close to Jesus. Or resting in his arms. And that's why sometimes Jesus doesn't answer our prayers. Like Paul. Take this Take away this thorn in the flesh. Take away this thorn in the flesh. Take away this thorn in the flesh. And Jesus comes to him finally and says, My grace is all you need. You don't need the thorn in the flesh removed. We'll we'll get to that next year, hopefully, in chapter 12. You see, when we escape the pain, We also escape the comfort. And that's a tragedy. The whole reason the suffering's there is so that we might partake of the glorious, beautiful help and comfort of Jesus. But if we run from the pain, we run away from the the comfort and the pain and the the, uh, relief, the rest. The help. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Have you ever thought about that verse? It doesn't say, you know, you'll be blessed when you're mourning because you know that God will comfort you. No, it's blessed are those who mourn. So it's comparing the person who mourns from the person who's not mourning. And which one is blessed? The one who's mourning is blessed because he's the one that's going to give the comfort. You see how the economy of God is strange, but it's so beautiful. It's when we're struggling. It's when we feel weak. It's when we're in pain that God's help and comfort come. It's actually a privilege to suffer. And we'll see that one day. When we look back at our lives from a heavenly perspective, we'll see what a blessing it was to suffer 
and all the dividends that came as a result. It's hard to see now many times, I know. The third thing I'd like to point out in this passage is actually the way that it starts. God calls himself, or Paul calls God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, it seems to me that in the context, Paul's talking about two big things. Suffering and comfort. And these two big things, he knows that God is controlling both. And yet, when it comes time to refer to God, he doesn't say, the God of suffering and of comfort. He says the God of mercies and the God of comfort. And that's very significant, I think. God certainly is the God of suffering in one sense, in that he ordains and engineers suffering in people's lives. Listen to Isaiah 45, 7. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Yes, he brings it all to pass. He brings all things to pass. But it's also very clear in the scriptures that God does not identify himself with afflicting suffering in the same way that he identifies himself with comforting and helping. He doesn't call himself the God of suffering because it would not be an accurate description of his heart. He doesn't want to give the impression that he causes suffering in the same way that he causes comfort as if they were equally ultimate in his mind. You see, suffering... He brings to pass in order to bring comfort and help to pass. One is a means and one is an end. And therefore they must not be confused. He brings suffering to pass in order to show his comfort and healing and restoration. Here's another way to look at it. God doesn't, listen carefully to this, God doesn't delight in human suffering. He does delight in human comfort, in comforting his people. You can see this in the way God expresses himself in his word. Isaiah 41.10, for instance. Fear not, he says to his people, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And it says something like this hundreds of times, just in the Old Testament. Find places like this where he's delighting in bringing about suffering, you just won't find them. Because God doesn't identify himself as that, even though he makes it clear that he is the first cause of it all. 
He delights in being the helper of his people, but his word never says he delights in bringing suffering. In fact, it says the opposite. Listen to Lamentations 3, verse 33 and 34. I'm sorry, 32 and 33. Listen to this amazing passage. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Notice what this does and does not say. It doesn't say that God does not afflict or grieve the children of men. He certainly does. It says he doesn't afflict or grieve the children of men from his heart. That's why we don't read about God being the God of suffering. He is a fixer. He is a helper. He's a healer. Why does he bring about suffering? Well, because, first of all, it brings about wonderful dividends for people. And second of all, because the cure, this is the way I like to say, the cure is better than if you never had the disease in the first place. The cure is better than if you never had the disease in the first place. So, He allows us to have the disease because the cure is better than if we had never had the disease in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, but you're probably like me. I don't like pain. Pain tends to make me angry with God. But what if this thing that I so hate is actually one of God's most precious gifts to me? What if God instituted pain out of his great love for me? What if the thing I've been cursing all along turns out to be one of my chief blessings? You see, once mankind fell into sin, it was necessary to introduce pain into the world in order for man to be able to meet God, since without pain... Man would never feel his need for God. What if everything God sends, everything God ordains in our lives, is really a new opportunity to meet Jesus? Am I in pain? Well, maybe that's good. Maybe I shouldn't be trying so desperately to break out of my prison of pain Maybe there's someone I need to meet there in that prison. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. Again, not to take it all away, 
but to be there with us. Jesus called out. He said, come to me in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You know, the rest of Jesus, the rest that Jesus gives doesn't just happen by itself. It happens by coming. It happens by coming to Jesus. It happens by coming to the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. It happens by calling out your dad for your daddy, your Abba Father. He knows our troubles. And his great arms are a place of shelter for us in the storm. He is the God who comforts us in all our afflictions. Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Our problems may seem big, but the Christ who strengthens us in our problems is much bigger. In this world we will have tribulations, but he has overcome the world. John 16, 33. Even when we have forgotten our pain, he still remembers it. He stores it in a bottle, remember? And writes it in his book, Psalm 56, 8. At a recent Bible study, hope this is okay to share, Patty. <laughs> I meant to ask you beforehand. Um, at a recent Bible study, Scott and Patty shared that um, when one of their daughters was uh, going off, was off in their first week of college, she experienced so much um, homesickness. It's okay if I say who it is? It's talking about Marianne. She experienced so much homesickness that Scott and Patty drove three times down to Richmond, where she was in school at VCU, to just be with her and comfort her. Three times in a week. Now, yeah, the Rice kids, they have so much better parents than my kids do. <laughs> At least for me. Um, but, you know, that is so impressive to me. They didn't, they didn't say, okay, you don't have to go to school. We'll come down and bring you back. And we, you can lose all that money. It doesn't matter. And all this commitment and all your future. It doesn't matter because we want to rescue out of your pain. No. But they were willing to go be with her in her discomfort. In her aloneness. And that's the way the Lord is for us. He delights in being the helper of his people. Now, I'm at the end of my sermon now, and if you are an astute reader, you will notice that there's something big I left out in this passage. And that's where it talks about um, how he comforts us in our suffering so that we would be able to comfort others in their suffering. And that's because we're going to wait and talk about that part next week.
Let us come to the Lord in the sacrament now. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, what a great privilege it is to be the objects of your mercy, to be the recipients of your help and comfort. And Lord, we thank you that even when we suffer, that we never suffer alone. Give us grace, O Lord, to cry out to you, to run to you, to trust you as our Father, that you always have a good heart toward us and that you always care about us and and want our best. Help us to trust you that you know what is best for us. And Lord, even when we don't feel like you're helping us, Help us not to be embittered, not to doubt, but to know even this is a trial that you sometimes allow us to experience and you call us to trust you. You trust your word even when we don't feel it. We thank you now, Lord, for the blessing of coming and partaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament. We pray for your presence here. We pray for your work in our hearts to increase our hunger and give us an open heart to receive you. That As we go forth from this place today, Lord, we would go forth with a sense that you are with us and that we are filled not with ourselves but with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.